This is a Triple J podcast. Hack. Hey, it's Dave Marchese. Welcome to the Hack Podcast. I think at one point most of us have tried to hide, delete, get rid of something about ourselves from the online world. It could be stuff that makes you cringe now that you did years ago, or it's just a part of your life that you're really keen to put behind you. Do you think it should be easier to delete your digital footprint or reduce it? Later, we're getting into this one hearing from people who've struggled to do it. Also, what they're doing in other parts of the world, because there are some really strict laws in parts of Europe that are interesting. I guess we can all relate. Keep listening for that one. We're also going to Antarctica in this podcast. Really, we're checking in with father-son explorers who are on a carbon-neutral adventure around the world. That's coming up. First, though. Hack. Rental affordability is now really a national problem. On Triple Jack. For the past few years, we've been constantly asking, could renting become any harder? And the answer is yes, actually. I'm sure it's not too surprising if you've just had your rent jacked up in the past few weeks or you're looking for a place right now, but rental affordability has gone from bad to worse across Australia. Some people are spending more than three quarters of their income on rent. I wanna know how much are you paying in rent? What proportion of your take-home, what kind of impact is that having on you? Message in 0439757555. The reason I'm asking is because in a minute we're going to hear what this kind of rental stress actually means for our physical health. Because some researchers found it could be having more of an impact on ageing than obesity or being unemployed. Pretty wild research there. But first, before we get into that, here's Shalila Madura with the latest update. The Rental Affordability Index, which compares rents with national incomes, has found rentals are now the most unaffordable they've been since 2020. Sydney, Melbourne and Perth have the worst affordability in the country. It's not just the capitals, though. Regional Queensland fares the worst for affordability outside of the major cities. It's really hard to find a property, and so what we're seeing is really a Hunger Games-style scenario where people are competing for a really limited number of properties that are available. That's pushing up rents and putting more pressure on vulnerable households in Australia. Brendan Coates from the Grattan Institute says people are being priced out of the cities. They're pushed out because housing has become less affordable. They're actually displacing those people that are trying to find rental accommodation in regional areas. Emma Greenholsch is the head of National Shelter, one of the organisations that helped write the report. She says people living on welfare payments like JobSeeker are the hardest hit, spending nearly 80% of their income on rent. So in different postcodes, it would be, you know, up to 100% of someone who's on JobSeeker, you know, needing to to spend, um, you know, their income just to be able to have a roof over their heads. Independent Senator David Pocock says the federal government must step up and make housing more affordable. Things like the National Housing and Homeless Agreement when it comes to Commonwealth rent assistance and critically when it comes to our tax system that incentivises investment in properties over properties being affordable. But Housing Minister Julie Collins is defending the government, saying its $10 billion housing fund will take the pressure off the rental market. Our fund is the single biggest investment in social and affordable housing in more than a decade. And of course, it is 30,000 rental homes in the first five years of that fund. Hack on Triple J. Shalala Madora with that update, getting some messages in now. Someone says, yeah, my rent is 50% of my take home. Another person says, I'm a single mum in Sydney. 59% of my wage is spent on rent. 
Yeah, it's full-on stuff. I want to take a bit of a different look, though, at the fallout from the rental crisis because we know, obviously, it's hurting your bank account. What impacts it having on your biological age? And what do we mean by that? Well, there's some interesting research that's been done. Emma Baker is a professor of housing research at the University of Adelaide, and she's been helping out with that. G'day, Emma. Thanks for coming on Hack. Oh, thanks for having me, Dave. Can you explain this research? Because basically it's linking renting to ageing and it's looking at biological ageing. What does that mean? Yeah, so so it's a piece of research that um, comes as part of a long run of research where we've been really interested in finding out, you know, how does housing affect people's health and wellbeing? Um, and it's quite different to all of the things we've done before. So what we do is um, it's actually using a large longitudinal data set from the UK, which follows people over 10, 15, 20 years. And in the middle of it, they take um, blood samples, which we can then uh, we can then examine and see how much uh, how much people are aging faster than their chronological age. So you know, you think about uh, everyone ages, you know, every year the same rate, but a whole lot of things that we do in life can affect our biological age. So if we smoke or if we drink too much or if we put on too much weight, they can make us kind of older and sicker in a way. Right. So how much is renting ageing us? What kind of impact is that having on our biological yeah. age? Well, it's really interesting. We put into the model um, a whole load of things which you know, are traditionally associated with risks and lifestyle risks. Um, and private renting wasn't what we were looking for, but it did come out as as one of the things that really seems to be affecting people's biological age. So so the amount that, that it's likely that we think it affects it is about two and a half weeks for every year that people are living in rental accommodation. Wow. So it ages you two and a half weeks for every... That's crazy. And I mean... Is it reversible? Can you reverse your biological age if things improve? Look, I mean, I think I think that's one of the happy stories from this is, is you know, th- these things, just like every other lifestyle factor, if you stop smoking, um, you're likely uh, to reverse some of that ageing effect. And, yeah, moving on from renting um, can also, uh, you know, be reversed and modifiable. I suppose one of the really interesting things that comes from it is it seems to only be private renting, which was, you know, something that we're looking into in more detail at the moment. But um, social renters seem to be protected from that ageing. So so that leaves us with the question, you know, what is it about private renting that's ageing people and not social renting? So we think that it's the, the insecurity that goes along with the private rental sector, um, whereas social housing tenants have a little bit more security. So, you know, you think about uh, everyone's kind of average lease in Australia, it's between six months and 12 months. So that really leaves you kind of unable to plan too well for the future. Um, So there, there are things that we can do about the rental sector to remove that. That's so interesting. Do we know if it's the same around the world, if this is a um, uniquely Australian thing or has there been research into um, people in other parts of the world? Yeah, look, this is the first piece of research um, of its type. So we haven't seen um, the around the world case. In fact, we've used a British sample, a UK uh, data sample, because it's the only one where this kind of data is available. But we would say that, you know, it's not only transferable to the Australian case, it's probably a little bit more extreme in the Australian case. 
This is Hack. I'm Dave Marchese. I'm speaking with Emma Baker, a professor of housing research at the University of Adelaide. And we're talking about uh, some research that's found that renting can have uh, really significant impacts on your health, on your biological age. Emma, do you think that governments should be using this kind of information when they're creating housing policy? Yeah, look, I think, you know, I've been in the field for a long time and I think this is the first of first of a kind of a new wave of research that really gives us something quite solid to pin uh, pin policy onto. I mean, I think, uh, you know, giving, giving us all credit in Australia that there's some good things happening in, in housing policy at the moment. Um, around Australia, you know, we're looking at uh, security of tenure and, you know, how you can make renting better. Um, but you know, there's a there's a need to keep keep looking. I suppose it's definitely uh, fascinating stuff, and I'm I'm really interested to hear if there is more research into this area because uh, people are feeling it. They're feeling it financially. They can probably relate to the mental load and stress of being in the rental market in Australia at the moment. Professor Emma Baker from the University of Adelaide, I appreciate you taking the time to speak with us. Thanks for coming on Hack. Thanks for listening. And we've got a lot of messages coming through on this one. Someone says, I'm paying 42% of my take-home pay in rent. I've never felt more exhausted and stressed, and it shows. My face uh, looks like 30 and I'm only 23. That's someone there on the text line. Another person, Monica from Perth. My dad, who is a retired pensioner, got declined a rental application last month because the rent, which was $450 a week, was more than 30% of his annual income. I don't think there are many, if any, people out there only spending 30% of their income on rent. That one was from Monica. Mike in Bundaberg says, rent costs me three quarters of my income. And someone else says, what about the cost of a first home owner buyer? I live in Newcastle and my mortgage has gone up $1,800 per month in the past six months. Got a lot of messages from people talking about the impacts of the current you know, financial situation on their mortgages, how that's also really stressful as well. And Sarah, a renter in Redfern says, small, positive, shorter lifespan is less time to pay rent. <laughs> Sarah, that's one way of looking at it. Hack, they're on this absolutely amazing mission to get around the world and do it all net zero. On Triple J. You might remember earlier this year we brought you the story of father and son explorers Jeff and Katali Wilson. Now, they were just about to set off from Australia on a round-the-world expedition to record the impacts of climate change while also proving that it's possible to do these big explorations sustainably. Net zero. Well, it's been three months. They've already travelled 15,000 nautical miles so far. They've been to Patagonia, had so many adventures, wild things they've seen. They're now in Antarctica. And I'm happy to say they're joining us now from Antarctica to fill us in on what's been going on. Jeff and Katali Wilson... Welcome back to Hack. Dave, so good to be here. I can't believe the signal is so good. Yeah, it's sounding, it's actually a bit deceiving. I keep thinking, are they really in Antarctica or are they just down the road here? <laughs> yeah, <we're, laughs> it's, it's just a point. We're just down the road. It's pretty clear. And can I tell you, we've had some issues with Optus lately and the signal that we're getting from Antarctica is better than the signal than a lot of Australians have had with Optus. But that's a whole news story that you probably haven't even heard of down there, I imagine. We've, uh, no, we've, we've truly unplugged from Australian media. So we, you're, you're updating us. Oh, look, there's a lot going on. Jeff, can you explain where you are right now and what the conditions are like? 
we had a pretty blessed sail. We crossing the Drake's Passage, which is that gap between South America and the Antarctic Peninsula, is one of the most feared waterways on Earth. It's claimed 20,000 sailors' lives and 800 ships over the years, so it's feared with good reason. We crossed that three and a half days at sea, and we hit an iceberg field at one o'clock in the morning in the pitch dark. Very, very stressful day sailing through icebergs, and then once the sun came up, things got a little easier, but then arriving at Deception Island, which is this sunken caldera active volcano we're anchored in now got hit by a, a quite a severe blizzard which made it quite dangerous but the anchors held overnight and we've had some sleep so we're feeling a lot better this morning yeah it, it doesn't sound good for people who are not used to it let alone people who've done this kind of thing before Katali, what about you like how's it been i've been seeing some of your stuff on instagram obviously people can follow you on socials keep updated with how you're going conditions as your dad said pretty wild at the moment is it better or worse than you expected I think the whole thing going into something like this big, I was just keeping my expectations at the absolute worst. You know, we had a really tough crossing in the Pacific where we had seven storms. One of those storms got up to 70 knots and it looked like it was going to take the boat. I don't know. I, I think the, the way we're approaching the adventure, um, no matter how bad it gets, it's we put ourselves here. It really feels like it's all a part of it. Can you explain what you can see now? Like, it's pretty early in the morning. You guys have got up pretty early to speak with Hack. Thank you very much for doing it. But it looks, it looks bright outside. What, what, what's going on? What can you see from where you are now? Uh, on shore, we've got one of the biggest colonies of chinstrap penguins in the world. So they're kind of hunkering down, staring at this strange boat that's just come out of nowhere. But there's an old whaling station here. So it kind of feels oddly dystopian because there's just these old kind of buildings, all this industrial equipment. I think 1860, it was abandoned. Wow. Wild. Yeah, it's amazing. You've got these sort of sheds and parts of old boats and We'll try and get to shore and meet the chinstrap penguins. But it's pretty funny. They've got like a ski slope down to the water <laughs> and the penguins kind of arranged on different levels. So in like a pyramid structure. So it looks like they're waiting to take off on a ski jump. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> you, you, the storm cleared yeah. last night. We got penguins on the beach, boys. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're also kind of keeping track of what you're noticing, Jeff, from previous trips. Have you noticed anything in terms of talking about climate change, anything? that's maybe different or unexpected on your travels so far? Yeah, Dave, and I think probably we're heightened because we know that we're here to explore carbon neutral. Can it be done? Can we do what I've done my whole career without arriving in a big fuel-guzzling Russian transport? So just the approach to the Patagonian expedition, normally we take a helicopter to the snow line, hop off, and then I start my crossing. Katali and I were attempting to do a father and son crossing of the Patagonian ice cap. And it took us three days to get our gear to the snow line. So we're hauling sleds through sweaty forests and then over rock and then dragging the things up, damaging the gear. And the whole time I'm thinking, wow, this is just so that we can get to the start as carbon neutral as possible. But it just means we're really kind of aware of the changes around us. And I feel like uh, there's definitely degradation of the ice. Patagonia, we felt that more than anywhere because it's changing so fast. I kind of feel like if we don't change how we're doing things on planet Earth, then you know my grandson won't get to see what Kit's seeing down here. And that, that's kind of the, the sadness that comes in in the whole thing. We got to see, you know, some of the fastest receding ice on Earth. 
shocking kind of what we were coming across there. And I think being in Patagonia and seeing just how fast these glaciers are receding, incredible stress and crevassing we encountered, all telltale signs of like high ice movement, high melting periods and really, really big thermal gradients. To see all that, it kind of just acts as rocket fuel, I think, for not only this Antarctic leg, but like you mentioned, the ones coming up. How is the sustainability stuff going? Because like you said, that's a net zero trip. Is all the equipment and stuff you're using, is it holding up? It was a real tricky thing. It was We had a crossing of the Tasman, so from Australia, New Zealand, and it just seems like every system we put on failed. And we had some time in NZ fixing it all and just had an amazing run and were able to really rely on those systems. But, you know, it's been an experiment. We're learning We're entering into this thing, not really from a high point, but really just wanting to create dialogue around what we're doing. So, you know, on Project Zero, we have our monthly emissions reports. We also have a strategy that kind of talks about the scope of our emissions and and what we're recording and why we're recording that. It's been intense because, you know, if we have to turn on the engine to put into a bay or into to get out of danger or turn on the generator because, you know, we have had sun and our solar hasn't been working. That's all recorded. So there's a there's a massive amount of accountability, which when you're in a normal environment's fine, but kind of when it's day 88 on an expedition, it, it's definitely an extra hurdle to really think about. Yeah, I can imagine it's definitely a stress that you probably don't really need, but it's uh, you know it's it's what you're doing a, a net zero trip. This is Hack. I'm Dave Marchese. I'm speaking with Australian explorers Jeff and Katali Wilson. They're on a round the world carbon neutral expedition to highlight the impacts of climate change and they're joining us now from Antarctica. Now you two have done two out of the seven legs of this trip. You're going to finish at the North Pole. That's uh, a bit of a while away. How are you feeling? Like, are you still feeling energised? Oh, I think we're tired now, Dave, but honestly, a good night's sleep and then getting ashore. And there's something spiritual about Antarctica that just revives the soul. I'm fully expecting Kit to have his mind blown once he puts (laughs) his feet on Antarctic soil. And I think that'll buoy us up. Obviously, we really miss family. We really miss home. But we do feel like we're doing something worthwhile and and it's certainly opening up conversations that need to be had. Mm. And how has it been staying connected? Because, Kit, like, are you staying in touch with all your mates back home? You're still on socials, checking out what everyone's doing, going to parties, (laughs) doing all that stuff? (laughs) Yeah, that's so true. I am. Like, it's just a weird era because, you know, we're modern explorers and this is kind of the incredible tools we have. But part of me kind of wishes I didn't have them because it's almost like drip feeding. Like you're away from your family, but you're FaceTiming every day. You have this amazing interconnectivity, which is beautiful, but you're kind of there, but not there. What's exciting for this project is instead of kind of uh, wanting to drop off the grid, I think it's all about bringing people with us. Dave, I think Kip put it beautifully the other day. He was trying to unpack as a filmmaker, as a storyteller, why I would continually leave Safe Harbour, leave my beautiful wife Sarah and the, the girls and Kit and put myself in harm's way again and again and again in the polar regions. I just tried to unpack it and said, hey, if you imagine, no matter what your faith, whatever your holy house is, your church, your mosque, your synagogue, the polar regions is my church. And I feel like we're, we're graffitiing the the Vatican, and we need to show that 
graffiti, the damage that we're doing, because people won't love what they don't understand. And when they understand and see the vision coming out of Project Zero, I think it'll be very easy for people to A, see the changes, but also just fall in love with the polar regions and that being a, a shift for change. I mean, the big question everyone's got who's listening, I imagine, is how's the relationship going? We asked this, we asked this before you set off, like, are you oh. two going to be at each other's throats? Adventuring with your dad, I think just is such an incredible opportunity, um, but it definitely comes with its challenges. I'm 23 and I've lived with this person for my whole life. And then you throw us into a tent and into a high stress environment. <laughs> Stuff's going to go down. But I don't know, just, beyond that, you know, there's been tense moments, but I reckon what's been resounding is just a deep sense of admiration for him and the polar career he's had. That sounds pretty positive all, all this time on, I'm so far. You know, we've been 88 days living in, in each other's pockets and I'm talking, this would drive people crazy for a day. Well, you can't move around the boat without bumping into each other. It's wet, it's sticky. You can't move without rolling on top of each other. So it's bound to aggravate the normal human we probably had a tense moment in a crevasse field where we couldn't really communicate over the sound of the wind and had a bit of a yell at each other and then hugged and made up. And then a couple of little bites at each other. But over the 88 days, resoundingly, there's been mutual respect and love. Every day we do a reset and just come up with kind words for each other. And if we're having a bad day, trying to go away, simmer down and come back at the problem with kindness. It's a work new age boat. Yeah, it's, it's sounding good from my perspective. A lot of us are wondering just how we're going to get through Christmas with our families, but you two are doing well. So we're glad to hear that everything's working. Explorers Jeff and Gatali Wilson from Antarctica, thanks for coming on Hack and keeping us updated. Thank you so much. I got a lot of messages coming through, people saying it's really cool what these two are doing, interested in the whole concept of it. And someone else, Gavin Melbourne, says it's surreal. This time last year, I was in the exact spot they're in right now at Deception Island. It's an incredible part of the world, and it is amazing that they're doing it carbon neutral. If you do want to follow this adventure, we've got a really lovely collection of stuff on Hacks Instagram that you can go check out. You can also go follow Jeff and Katali and this project, Project Zero on Instagram. It's a nice break from some of the more intense stuff that you're probably seeing on your grid. Beautiful parts of the world, things maybe you've never seen before. It's definitely worth a follow. Hack. I actually thought about changing my name so I wouldn't be associated with things I'd done in the past. On Triple J. Do you have something on the internet that you wish you could get deleted? Or are you sick of getting spam calls? You want more privacy? Well, guess what? There are actually so many people that want to do that too that a whole industry has popped up around this exact thing. Joe Lauder has been looking into it. So if I were to Google you now, how hard is it to find this article? I reckon it's like number three, four. It's at least on the first page, even in light of all the other achievements in my life. It's still like on the first page. And probably I'm making it worse because I click it all the time. You're the one that's just like giving it a really long tail. They're like, this article still performs really well mysteriously. 30 clicks a day from the same IP address. This guy's a friend of mine, but I'm not going to tell you his name and it's pretty soon going to be obvious why. He's a talented musician and his career is doing really well at the moment. But when you Google his name, something comes up that he just hates. 
It was actually for a friend of mine working for the ABC and he asked me if I would be comfortable being the face of this particular digital affliction. I need to be clear that it's not like porn addiction or something like that. Can you pull it up and can you read it without your name? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Musician, blank, says screen addiction derailed his passion for music. <laughs> it sounds pretty dramatic. It does sound like you, you have a, had a bit of a problem at the time with your phone, well, like no. all of us. In hindsight, I think my screen time was like probably less than an hour. Ten years ago, he deleted Facebook and he did this interview about how he's addicted to his phone. And it's still right up there when you search him. So obviously he's, yeah, not putting his name to this story. A few years ago, he did try and get his name removed from this article, but he didn't hear back. I'm a journalist and I work at the ABC. So I did some digging and this is what the policy says. The ABC's policy is that it does not remove or edit accurate factual content without clear and compelling reasons. This is probably not one of them. Embarrassment, discomfort and distress at the publication of accurate factual material are not normally sufficient reasons. Not long after my friend told me this story, he does mostly find it pretty funny these days, I got an ad for a company that promises to help people out in this space. My name is Rob Chevelle and I'm co-founder and CEO of Delete Me. These days, we put so much information online that it's impossible to keep track of it all. It might be from the metadata on our posts on social media, the information we hand over when we sign up to something online or enter a competition. Cell phone and mobile numbers, our uh, addresses, the names and ages of our family members and parents or vehicle information and many, many other attributes that uh, over the years, as uh, companies have gotten better at finding out data about us online, have aggregated into profiles and are selling. So there's basically a, a big marketplace that we never see with vendors buying and selling our personal information to each other. There's this saying, I'm sure you've heard it, um, but if you're not paying for the product, you are the product. Do you agree with that? Is that what's going on here? I think it's a very important cliche that is true. The companies that buy and sell your information and curate these very exact profiles of you that they can then sell on to marketers or political organizations or whatever, they're called data brokers. Delete Me focuses on finding where that information is exposed and requesting each of those places to remove it or opt it out of their databases. In some ways, do you think that like in an ideal world that there shouldn't even be a need for this kind of service. We talk about this a lot. If we could create the perfect regulations and the perfect laws, we should be out of business. The gold standard around the world for privacy regulation is Europe's right to be forgotten. Under these laws, people can ask search engines to remove links to pages about them. Although it doesn't always mean that they do get them removed. And there are tight restrictions on data broker companies. From the perspective of an individual, it's a much better situation and people have more control over their own personal information. Belinda Barnett is a senior lecturer in media and comms at Swinburne Uni. Here in Australia, the government's recently announced the results of a report that's looking into giving Australia similar rights to Europe. It's got 116 recommendations and they're going to introduce legislation next year. Our privacy laws were really formulated during the print age. If it's implemented like it is in Europe, then you would be able to request companies to 
remove pieces of information that you feel are private about you or that they shouldn't have? People in the privacy and advertising. After chatting a lot about privacy regulation, I decided to ask Rob from Delete Me about my friend's case. We get those kind of requests all the time. But it's not good news. If there's one thing I want to educate people on, it's probably this, not not privacy laws. It's there's a difference between your digital reputation and your digital privacy. They're 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 t- tied together, but they're different. Hack in 20 years time when they do a documentary about the history of the iPhone. They're going to pull that the out. The ABC archives will go back and they'll be like, look, look at this story. I know. I'm going to be patient zero of screen addiction. <laughs> Just to be clear, I really don't think I was using my phone any more than like an hour a day. Triple J. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was a different kind of standard back then, wasn't it? If you think about it, an hour a day addicted to the screen. It's very different now. Joe Lauder with that story. The right to be forgotten. What do we think about that movement, those laws that we're seeing in other parts of the country? I'm fascinated to hear, you know, if you have had to try and get something deleted from the internet. We're going to pick this up later in the week on The Shake Up. Uh, We're still getting a lot of messages through on our rental story, the fact that people are paying so much, obviously, in rent, some new figures around that out today, and the physical impact it's having Uh, on a lot of people. It's always interesting when we get like a good news story. Someone says, hey guys, I've been renting at this place for the last nine years and the landlords only put up the rent by $30 in that time. We're really comfortable here and we're really happy as well. That was from Daniel in Launceston. Hey, Daniel, I'm stoked for you. Uh, Unfortunately, not everyone's in that situation, but it is good to hear that some people uh, are doing okay. Hack on Triple Jack. And that's all we've got time for on the Hack Podcast for now. I'll catch you next time.